Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back. Let's go to the phones. Joining us as he does every week at this time, Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? You know, I'm doing well, and I know you want to talk about the small details that make a tre- that help with tremendous success, and they make so much difference. In fact, a lot of those details are what separate the professionals from the weekend anglers. I know you and I are both friends with somebody who is probably as detail-oriented in presentations as anybody I know, and that's Doug Stangy, who will drive <laughs> me nuts with his, he'll drive me nuts with his attention to detail, but he catches a lot of fish. Before we get into the meat of the small details, we did have one texter that's heading down to Pueblo, and maybe this will lead us into uh, what you want to talk about. Heading down to Pueblo next week, and thought maybe you could have a couple tips on where and what techniques to go for walleyes at Pueblo. Absolutely, Terry. You know, talking talking you know, walleyes at Pueblo, it's a great season down there, and this time of year is awesome. Um, with that being said, you can do a little bit of everything. Obviously, the, the runoff is, is later than anticipated. It's been cold. Uh, so the high country is still full of snow. The runoff's just hitting. Uh, that water level is coming up. Um, at Pueblo quite a bit, um, but but I wouldn't say by any means it's like a, a true rush. The water's not dirty, um, things like that, so it is increasing, and you have a lot of technique. So I've had a couple of people asking about tips for Pueblo. There's a tournament coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, so, so here's the nitty-gritty of Pueblo. If you want to catch numbers of walleyes, you want to go catch a bunch of fish, maybe catch some eaters, um, it's all about the jigs and rigs. And with that, you have three techniques. You have jigs, you have live bait rigs, and you have slip bobbers. And I really break it down to where I'm fishing. Pueblo has a, a ton of structure in it, but it's also got a lot of submerged brush and submerged trees. So if you go to somewhere where you have a flat, where you're on a mud sand bottom, there's not many trees in the area, so there's a good section of this um, down kind of on the, the shores, you know, just in front of Turkey Creek. Uh, there's a good section for that, just in kind of the north of Denver Cove, uh, excuse me, uh, Middle Island, kind of towards Denver Cove. There's a great spot that's just flat, no, no bushes. There's some stuff in the south boat dock that's like that. So if you're on a big flat, live bait rigs, like pulling a slow death hook, you can't beat it. You know, anywhere from 10 to 18 feet of water, you're going to catch fish. But for the rest of the lake where you have a lot of that submerged brush, it's all about the jigs and rigs. So you can pull up with your boat. You can kind of look over the the point or look over the structure, see where those bushes are, see where the trees are, kind of know where to cast. And you can pitch like a a small curly tail grub or a small paddle tail, and you can absolutely just have the best day of walleye fishing you've had. Um, I mean, our our numbers right now at Pueblo are just through the roof. So we're catching a lot of fish. We're catching good fish. And there's also kind of around those trees and stuff to, to really avoid snags. The ultimate technique is slip bobbering. And, Terry, you know, you and I spend a lot of time in the Midwest. And I would say that the, the normal walleye angler has a slip bobber rigged up in their arsenal um, as a walleye angler. In Colorado, it's probably less than 5% of anglers have or ever even use a slip bobber. Um, I know you have a ton of videos on YouTube. I do as well. Uh, if you're going on a Pueblo, really think about a slip bobber. Normal slip bobber with bobber stop. I put a small, ice, small jig head on the bottom. 
tip it with a leech or a half a night crawler, set that about six inches off bottom outside those those bushes, and you're going to catch a lot of fish. So that's that technique for that. If you want big fish, it's about the crankbait. And so many people are trolling, but in reality, if you want big fish, I would be throwing square bills up on shore. I would pretend that you are 100% targeting bass. So throwing square bill cranks, throwing little high action cranks. Uh, but I would be putting my focus on two to five feet of water on the shores, around the trees. Uh, there's so much new forage up in that shallow water, that warm water around all those bushes. And that's where those giant walleyes are sitting. So big fish, crankbaits on shore. All right, my friend, let's move on. Great advice, by the way. I couldn't agree more with everything you said, which always bothers me when I have to agree with you this much. But <laughs> you're right on. So let's take let's talk about the nuances, the little things, the things that maybe the average weekend angler, the details he overlooks that, you know, they watch the videos, they read the magazine articles, they they talk to us at the sports shows and they get the gist of a presentation. But there's always those little adjustments and details that until you're on the water and somebody's helping you seem to escape them take me through some of that absolutely so it's just kind of one of those things and what made me want to talk about this today is we're having a great season i'm having one of the best guide seasons i've had in a long time lots of fish lots of big fish and people ask for advice and i give it to them and i had somebody the other day say i know that's not what you're using there's no way you're going to tell me exactly what you're doing and and we're open we'll tell everybody exactly what we're doing but the thing that's separating it is is the things like we're talking about so the difference of catching five fish versus catching 50 fish um and this week i would say it really shined on some of those small things and it's one of those things that you know anglers get 90 percent of the way there but that last 10 percent just crushes them because they don't have that detail uh so we're going to talk about a few of those things and you know you hit the nail on the head you mentioned our good friend doug stangy mr paying attention to detail um I was literally doing a show with him, and we were throwing small little little swim baits, little paddle tail baits, and I watched him throw away an entire pack of grubs, uh, these little swim baits, to get one that he liked. So he opened a package of these soft plastics, and he, and if they didn't line up flawless, he just ripped them off and threw them away. I watched him go through 20 baits. Cause I remember because I picked them all up, so I'm like, you can't throw these out. He goes, what do you mean? They're no good. He goes, they didn't thread right. I mean, he literally, if it doesn't sit so flawless on his jig head, he just picks it up and throws it away. Um, I mean, just the, the detail has to be flawless in his eyes. And it's just crazy to think that. But those are the things that matter. So this week, probably the first thing that happened, uh, I was actually still water fly fishing in Antero. Uh, so if you're not a fly fisherman, don't worry. This is still going to be relevant. It's just about the details. But we were sitting in shallow water at Antero, seven feet of water, fishing midges under a strike indicator. The water is so clear, you can see bottom, I mean, like like it's a foot deep. And I was adjusting our strike indicator, and I moved the strike indicator about two inches. So I raised the flies about two inches. And, and my customer that day was like, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm adjusting your height. He goes, those fish can see that fly anywhere. He goes, two inches does not make a difference. Sure enough, he took a cast started catching more fish um and we started making these slight adjustments and this person was just blown away that that mattered in gin clear water where you can see everything that a height adjustment of two three inches um would make a difference when the fish can clearly see it everywhere but when the fish get into a zone when they get into looking at natural forage everything has to be perfect and those pain those slight you know details make a huge difference so that's the type of thing that makes a difference where other anglers like ah 
I'm not going to move it that much. It's not a big deal. The fish just aren't biting. But you have to try everything. And so many times it's the minute details that make a difference. So then I had another situation this week trolling big stick baits for pike. Um, and this was kind of a two-part thing. I was trolling in 16 to 18 feet of water at 11 mile, and we were catching big pike. I mean, we're catching very large trophy-class pike and quite a few of them. This particular day, these fish were sitting right around six feet below the surface over 16 to 18 feet of water. We were trolling these large stick baits using line counter reels. To let everybody know the difference of this and how important, you know, counting that that is and how important your line counters are, we were catching all of our fish 55 feet behind a planer board. If you put your bait 60 foot behind a planer board, so five feet difference um, on a stick bait that has minimal dive curve, you are not catching fish. So that's literally a, a variance of less than six inches on the bait um, to make it a make or break situation, literally of catching fish and not catching any fish. Um, so just crazy things happening in regards to that and the things that matter um, with that. On that same trip, we were talking about snaps. So, so many anglers have that discussion. Do I tie direct? Do I use a snap? And really there's a lot more to it than that. And how you connect your line to your bait is all about action. And this is another conversation we had on the boat because it made a difference. So when the water's cold and I want minimal actions, when I want to slow the bait down, I tie directly to that bait. Um, and no split ring, I go from line to the actual wire coming off the bait. And that's going to be the slowest action you can get out of that manufactured lure. Then the next step, you can add a snap adds a little bit. Then you can move into, or excuse me, you can add a split ring. That adds a little bit of action. Then you actually get into your snaps. And this isn't a, a ball bearing swivel snap. It's just a true snap. And you have things like a Berkeley cross lock. And this snap comes to a really narrow point. And again, it restricts the action of the lure just a little bit to where you have kind of a, a tighter wobble. Then you have things like a crane snap that's really wide open uh, and has a lot more movement in the bait. On this particular day of pike fishing, they wanted that wide open snap. And, and the reason this happened, I was talking to, to my, my guest about it, and I was explaining what we were doing, and he goes, that does not make a difference. So I took a Berkeley, uh, the, I took the crosslock snap, put it on one of the hottest baits that we had going that day, and immediately slowed down the fish take. It, it blew his mind. And then I put it back, and the action immediately increased. And he just, it, it almost, he said it, it was almost depressing as he goes, those are the type of details that I can't keep up with. But if you pay attention to everything that you're doing and just make those little mental notes, they'll start sticking and you'll start kind of getting ideas of what's happening. But more than not, it's the small details that help you catch more and bigger fish at the end of the day. And again, I see so many anglers that are 90% of the way there. They have, they have the right bait, the right speed. They're in the right spot. It's just those small things that, that keep them from catching fish. And at the end of the day, the, the depth at which the fish are sitting and the depth that you're fishing is probably number one. That's the biggest overlooked kind of concept when fishing is, is people want and make the fish work too hard for the bait. So make it easy on the fish. So zone is number one. Action of the bait is number two. And those are the things this week that shine. So really knowing how that bait's moving and, and playing with the variations of the movement of that presentation and bait was huge. And again, obviously the zone that you're fishing cater to those fish don't ever make them work deliver it right to their face i promise you make it easier on them you're going to catch a lot more fish at the end of the day but i tell you a couple of things you said there really rang a bell with me and not only trolling but even casting or whatever you're doing but trolling 
when you started talking about snaps and uh, split rings and tying direct to the baits or whether you tie a knot or a loop, the one I, I love to start, I see beginning weekend anglers, whether they're from a shore or a, uh, from shore or a boat, immediately they'll take and they'll put a, a great big uh, swivel snap on the end of their line so they can easily change lures and it doesn't twist their line. And they'll, they'll put little tiny jigs on that, which the piece of hardware just totally overpowers. You can't get a yep. natural action on that jig. Or they'll, they'll get the wrong action on a bait, or they'll, they'll get the nose of a, a jerk bait to be hanging down in the water because of all that hardware. If I was going to tell something, if you don't know, tie either to the bait or to the split ring, and snaps can almost be secondary. Now, at times, yep. I couldn't agree with you more about the shape of that snap, but I'm after big predators or even walleye trolling, and I do want to use a snap. I really am about changing the action with that snap and how it's how it's on there. It's just people get they you know they they see this hardware, they buy it, they think it's easy. The other big thing people do when they tie a snap or a or a swivel on their line is they quit retying. They well, every time they change a bait, they they just snap one off and snap one on, not realizing how much wear is happening at that knot on that snap. I agree 100%. Again, it kind of, I don't want to say it forces you to be lazy, but it, but it does at the end of the day. And, again, everything, I hate to say that you should be using, but most manufactured baits run pretty true. Even if they roll, oftentimes they roll back. I can tell you that in the you know 80 tackle trays I carry on my boat, I have very few baits that will actually twist my line. So I can't tell you the last time that I used a swivel snap. When we talk about that, it's the snap on the back, and it has a barrel swivel attached, and you're actually tying to the barrel swivel. You want to, to transform your fishing style to baits that run true so you don't have that barrel in front of there because, again, it sticks way past the bait, and fish just look at it, and it changes everything. So I encourage anglers, you know, Find presentation, tune your bait, have that presentation that runs true to where you're not constantly, you know, worrying about getting fouls up and twists up, uh, things like that. I, I would, you know, really consider ditching that that barrel swivel style snap, uh, going to a straight snap or tying direct, and I think you're going to be in. And again, if you don't know, if you're questioning it, you hit it right. Absolutely, tie direct. If you don't know what to do, tying direct is gonna gonna help you out in solving those problems. All right, Nate, we are out of time. What do you got coming up, and what's going on? Yo, as always, we continue our catch rate series. We had a hands-down probably the best catch rate event this past Wednesday. I uh, had a ton of anglers show up. It was fun. We had food. Uh, it was great. So not coming up this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday is our catch rate event. Go to our website, get all the details on that, uh, and then we have everything going, Terry, right now. We have big pike, lake trout, walleye everything's happening i don't want to lead everybody on and say we have a ton of openings uh we are absolutely getting booked up i know we have a ton of requests coming up for father's day gifts uh and just a lot of summer stuff so i encourage everybody if you think you want to get out on the water with us at Tightline, we promise you we are about education you can bring your gps's there's no secrets we are going to teach you everything we know to increase your success when you're on the water so we encourage everybody if you're thinking about a guide trip this year i don't care if it's in october uh, 
Um, think about calling us now to get on the books. Uh, I want to make sure we get everybody taken care of. So many people wait till the last minute or until family comes in town, and then we can't accommodate them. So just kind of uh, that word mentioned, you want a trip, go to tightlineoutdoors.com. You can email us at tightlineoutdoors at gmail.com. Call us, uh, but get a hold of us sooner than later. All right. My friend, we will talk to you next week. Have a great rest of the holiday weekend. Thank you, sir. You bet. Nate Zielinski, always a great resource. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, our, our dog training expert, Ben Garcia, is going to join us with lots of tips on taking care of your dog on your outings and while you're camping. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones, and joining us, our dog training expert from Hideaway Kennels, Ben Garcia. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Terry. How are you? You know, I'm doing great, and I know you want to talk about some things like hydrating your dog and some different things, but before we even get into that, I was listening to one of our commercials for A&A Toppers, or a great sponsor of the show, great partner, and I remember back, we used to do a segment about people who want to take their hunting dogs because one of the owners of uh, ANA Toppers is a big uh, hunter. And it's so important. I mean, you obviously want to keep the animal, the dog contained properly so it's safe inside a kennel, inside a crate when you're moving them. But what about, you know, you put a topper on your truck, you put it in the back. You really need to make whatever, sure whatever you do has good ventilation because that can heat up in a hurry, can't it? It really can, and you have to pay attention to that with the windows open. But there's some great products now you can get that you can you can buy, and you can put them in the back of your truck in your topper, and it'll give you a digital read of the thermometer in the back, so you can watch it up front and pay attention to those things, you know. But those are really things to pay attention to because it gets hot really fast in those. Yeah, I was telling people that a lot of people would ask me, they'd look at, well, what do you look for in a topper, they'd say to me. And I said, well, I'm not transporting dogs, so I look to keep my gear safe and, and out of eyes and stuff. But if I have a dog back there, I want one that I can really open up and ventilate. So you have to look at different styles. Anyway, that kind of leads us in. As people are getting their dogs out, whether they're taking them on walks, whether they're working them for hunting, whether they're taking them camping, whatever they're doing, we're getting into this hot weather. Hydration is extremely important for dogs, just like it is for humans, right? Very, because they don't sweat. I mean, so they pant, and it's something we really have to pay attention to. And usually, by the time they're tired and overheated, it's too late. You know, you've got a situation on your hands. You've got to reevaluate where you ended up with. But hydration is key on humans and dogs, for sure. So what do I do? Um, what do I need to take with me? How do I keep my dogs hydrated? How much water, yeah. you know, and if, if I'm out, how, take me through some of the nuances of that. Yeah, I mean, so what, what I like to do if I'm hiking with a dog is either carry their water on me or, or teach them to drink out of a camel pack so I can just squeeze it and get them a drink. But, you know, the, the disadvantage of a camel pack is you don't know how much you're giving your dog. You don't know if they've got enough or not. And if you read upon and do some research, what they say is, if you're feeding your dog three cups of food a day, they need to be drinking nine cups of water a day of, of water, and that probably even a little higher during exercise. So I think, you know, math-wise, that's about a gallon and a half to two gallons of water they're drinking a day. So you really need to think about that on a hike is, is one, is how am I going to get them water, and two, what am I going to water them in? And um, I really like to use those collapsible bowls. They fold up. You can put them in your hunting vest. You can put them in your backpack and have them ready to go for the dog and, and not rely on that, hey, I'm going to hope I find water on a hike compared to keeping them hydrated. 
uh, before during the hike and before it too. So, well, and how important is it? You know, to their like as a as a human, the better shape I'm in, even though I want to yeah. stay hydrated, I can withstand more than if I'm out of shape. Is that true with the dogs right. too? It really is because you got to think about what's happening with their muscle, with their bone structure, and you know, I don't. You know, I'm obviously not a vet, so I don't know the ratio of what they're carrying as far as extra weight. But you got to think if your dog is 10 pounds overweight and they're carrying that up and down a mountain, their body's built to be, let's say, 60 pounds and you're at 70 pounds. It, that's a really big difference on, on the mass that they're carrying as they hike. And there's some really good guidelines you can go on. Different dog food companies have body structure, what your dog should look like to be in the best shape. I know Purina has one we use and it gives you know, five different pictures of what dogs look like, whether they're obese or too skinny or right on. And, um, and especially in the summer, you do not want them over overweight and trying to get them in the heat and then pushing their bodies without hydration and being overweight. Because obviously if you're overweight, you don't have muscle. You're carrying more fat than you are muscle to that dog's bone ratio. Yeah. That, now, if I yeah. carry one of those collapsible bowls, if I come to like yeah. a river or a good-looking outdoor water. Dogs are like other animals. They're accustomed. Their bodies and bacteria, they can handle that. Would it be better that I um, give them the water out of the bowl so I can see how much they're drinking, even though I'm scooping it up, or just let them drink? Well, I think it depends on where you're at and, you know, what what you're doing. So there, there's, some, there's some theory on this that veterinarians have of if you're in town, and there's a puddle of water and your dog goes and sits down and it puts their belly on it to cool off. That's fine. They're going to cool off their belly first. If you're in town and they start drinking that water, generally they tell you not to because of runoff of sprinklers, um, fertilizers, different things that happen in parks that they may spray. But also the fact that Colorado gets Giardia in those ponds really easily. So um, I would, if I was in town going for a walk, run of water, my dog and give it water. If I was up in the mountains, and I'm hiking around, and there's a lake, and there's a river, and there's a pond, I'd, I'd, I'd probably feel a lot more comfortable with them just drinking out of there and cooling their whole body off and going for a swim compared to a mud puddle in a park next to a sprinkler head that who knows what's what's in there and your dog may get. Because some of those fertilizers that they use may, may be damaging, and they're drinking it in there. You may not see it, and you may their dogs are already overheated, and then you get something in that water source, you may have a problem on your hands. All right. Let's move on to a couple other things. We only have a couple minutes left. And one of the things I want to talk about, a lot of people are going to take their dogs out camping with them. A lot of people are going to go camping, not only this weekend, but weekends coming up. Um, A lot of people's dogs get lost camping. First of all, how do you contain your dog and what do you do to protect it while you're camping? So what I like to do, what we do with our family is we buy these, these stainless steel stakeouts. You hammer it into the ground. They've got about a 24-inch chain on there, and you hook it onto their collar. You put it in the shade. You put a bowl of water down there for them, and and they're contained to that area. And um, I really like that because they don't wander off. They're not getting into trouble. They're not getting into something they're not supposed to, and I can keep an eye on them. Now, obviously, if I'm going to leave, I unhook them, and if we're going for a hike, they leave and go for a hike with us. But I really like to do that. One, what it does is it keeps them in that area, which is the most important, too. It gets them actually to not pull on a lead. They're sitting there, and if they pull on that chain on that stakeout, and they eventually give in, it's going to help with your obedience work compared to if they're sitting there just running around free and all of a sudden try to contain them. Um, you know, I mean, we've all seen it, Terry, where you're out camping with somebody and they've got the leash wrapped around a tree and um, and the dog just eats the leash off and, and gets away and the dog's missing. I mean, this time of year, if you're on social media, we started seeing a lot more um, dogs getting missing from campgrounds, getting missing from hikes. So what I do, if I take my dog off the stakeout, and I'm going to go for a hike. I use these GPS collars. I like them. I've got one that syncs back to a handheld remote. 
and syncs back to my watch. So I can run a topo map on my watch, see where the dog's at, or on my handheld and see where it's at. I like the GPS units more than I like the Bluetooth. Um, the Bluetooth ones have some fail in them if you're in an area where you can't get signal back to the dog compared to the GPS that goes up to the satellite. And um, they're they're not cheap. I mean, they're they're pretty expensive unit to buy. But you think of the big picture of losing an animal and the investment you have and um, what you go through if you lose a dog. I, I think the GPSs are, are way worth doing. We were on a hunt one time, me and my wife in Montana, lost one of our dogs. We thought he was on point. The GPS gave us a signal back. He was on point. And we hiked, started hiking to where he was at, thinking he had a covey of, of huns or sharp tail pinned down. And he was right next to a highway drinking out of a puddle of water with trucks going by him. So, I mean, and luckily we saw that and dad got down there, got him, got him on a leash, got him back up on the hill. But it happened so fast and we have the technology. So I, I think everybody should invest in that if you're going to have your dog out hiking or camping. If they're off that stakeout or going to be where they're out exploring, that GPS just gives you such a faster read then sitting there whistling or screaming, looking for him when you've lost him. The last thing is you're getting out. We're starting to see fleas and ticks. Ticks especially are yeah. bad in Colorado. Any advice for right. people? Yeah, I mean, we're, I think, um, I think, I mean, you talked about earlier, this is the peak season for t- ticks. I think it's May, mid-May to mid-June is, is when they're really out. And um, I, I always tell everybody, do your flea and tick medicine, do your heart guard. Um, talk to your vet what's good for your region or the country you're in. And, um, and make sure you're given it religiously. You know, I mean, don't miss dates. They're, the On the on the the box you get your tick, flea and tick and heart card on, it generally has a sticker you can put on your calendar to remind, remind you where you're at because we're about to mosquito season two with this rain and this heat coming on. Um, you said it perfectly, Terry, when one of our conversations is flea and ticks and mosquitoes are, are some of the worst things out in nature that we don't pay attention to, including ourselves, of the damage they can do to dogs and, and with Lyme disease and some other things that can happen. My friend, we are out of time, but if people want more information from you or they want to find out about your training programs, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, so they can visit us at our webpage, which is hideawaykennels.com. And if they want to see some fun pictures and videos of dogs being trained and dogs out with us, they can follow us on Facebook also through Hideaway Kennels. All right. Thank you. And I tell you what, coming up in a couple of weeks, I'd kind of like to have you take us through a program, what's involved and whether yeah. you keep the dog or people bring it. Let's get into some details. Ben, you enjoy Good the rest you. of this uh, holiday weekend. You too, Terry. Be safe. Thank you for everything. You bet. Ben Garcia from Hideaway Kennels. What great information on dogs. We're going to try to keep him around for a long time. He brings so much to the show. Speaking of somebody who's been around for a long time, but we tolerate him, JR is patiently waiting from Colorado Clays. We're going to take a quick time out and come back, and we got some special things to talk about with him on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. If you're headed out this weekend and there's a last-minute thing you need, or even if you're staying home grilling, they have it, whether it's clothing, fishing, hunting equipment, camping, anything you would need. There's jack stores up and down the front range. Stop in one. They're going to take care of you. Let's go to the phones. And joining us, even though I give him a hard time, he's one of our favorite contributors, J.R. Pierce from Colorado Clays. Good morning, J.R. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me on, bud. Hey, I, I got I to gotta tell you, um, we had earlier one of your favorite places, Bar Lake, was recognized for their one of only three parks to win the gold standard for Leave No Trail. So we're really celebrating our partners who have been chosen to be outstanding today. And 
Colorado Clays is among them. What Tell us what you've been recognized for. Well, Terry, and, and here's the thing, bud. I, I don't think it's any secret that I will, you know, toot my own horn at times. Uh, and that's especially true, of course, if I'm on the boat fishing with you. And, of course, I know you will do the same. Um, on a side note, you did catch that first fish last time, and I never thought I'd hear the end of it. But, you know, Terry, for years and years, myself, Doug, Corey, and the entire Colorado Clay staff have been telling folks across Colorado what an amazing facility Colorado Clays is and how it has something for everyone from the beginner to the expert firearms enthusiast and from recreational shooting for friends and family uh, up to opportunities for competitive fundraising and corporate events of any size. And, of course, you know, Terry, we're always boasting of the best expert and friendly staff in the industry. But every now and again it is nice to get that additional validation from an outside source and this time it comes from the Westward Best of Denver 2021 magazine. And for anybody who is not familiar, this publication is an annual, annual review of like the best rated businesses, parks, venues, and so forth from around the metro area. And Colorado Clays is very proud to have been chosen and named the best outdoor shooting range in the Best of Denver for 2021. And, you know, Terry, I think the most important thing about that recognition is that it really puts a stamp on what I've been telling the great people of Colorado for so long, and that is that Colorado Clays truly is Colorado's premier public shooting facility. Uh, we feature the very finest in rifle, pistol trap, training trap, skeet, wobble trap, sporting clays, shotgun patterning, um, concealed carry classes, shooting clinics, instruction, accessories, and so, so much more. And, again, I invite everyone to come check us out and see for yourself what a fantastic place we have here. Well, first of all, congratulations. We're so proud to have one of our premier partners recognized in such a way. They've been part of the show for a long time now, and we just feel that you guys out there, Doug, Corey, you, um, just treat people so well, and the facility is so great. We're just proud to represent you on our show, and we just want to let you know we're proud that you got this honor. And also, I do want to throw in, get used to me catching the first fish. Oh, Terry, <laughs> don't get used to me uh, being quiet about it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's move on a little bit. Speaking of fish, you do have an event coming up in just about a week, I think, or maybe a week from tomorrow. I'm not sure. But it's your annual cast and clays. Do you have a few spots open? If you do, kind of tell us about it. Yeah, Terry. And the, and the key there, this is a once-a-year annual event. Uh, there are a few positions open. And in case anybody doesn't know, the Colorado Clays Bass Pro Shops cast and clays event is a one-day combination fishing and clay shooting tournament that's designed to be fun affordable and accessible to anyone who enjoys the outdoors. Um, so we do two-person teams, so get yourself a partner. Uh, that could be a friend, it could be a family member, whatever you want. We will start fishing at Bar Lake State Park, and, uh, of course, that's the one Michelle manages, and congratulations, Michelle. Uh, that is one amazing crew out there. So we'll start at Bar Lake. Uh, we'll fish from 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. at Bar Lake. Uh, we will then check out, measure everybody's fish, Head to Colorado Clays for a steak lunch provided by Ramos Law. Um, then we'll go out and shoot 
uh, on the beautiful Colorado Clay Sporting Clays course. After we finish the shooting portion, we'll go into the Colorado Clays large event tent for the Colorado Clays um, finale. And this includes um, Bass Pro Shops prize drawings, uh, special Bass Pro Shops family categories for teams of parents and children, for co-eds in the outdoors, for ladies. Uh, we're going to have prizes for kids. And, you know, Terry, all of that, um, of course, we're going to give away some big money for the winners. But if that isn't enough, we just added a new sponsor. The Brighton Wendy's Restaurant is going to provide a delicious breakfast sandwich for every Cass and Clay's participant. So at the cost of only $100 for a two-person team, uh, regardless of what happens, you're making out. This is a fun day, and I would love to get a few more teams in this uh, for the 2021 event. So please give us a call, and uh, we'll sign you up. And so $100 gets you pays for everything. That includes now your breakfast, a steak lunch, a uh, half day of fishing in, in a competitive, friendly, competitive situation. And then what do you shoot, 100 clays? Is that what you shoot on the sport on the sporting clays? Yeah, each team will shoot 100 clays, which is 50 targets per person. And what's a really cool thing about our format, Terry, is uh, the scoring. Uh, when we come off of Bar Lake, um, all of your fish, which is always game fish, you get one point for each inch of fish. Uh, when we finish the shooting, each team will get one point for each broken target. And that is how the scoring is done to end up uh, determining winners and such. But uh, there's just so many other ways to win, so many other categories, so many other prizes, Terry, that uh, that's just a bonus if you're able to pull it off. So what a great day for, for anybody who loves the outdoors. How about if I fish and I have somebody else shoot all 100 clays? Can't do that, huh? No, um, not that Karen wouldn't, but I, I think we'll do 50-50. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, it's a great event. People want to sign up. Is, is the information on the website? Yeah, it's on the website, Terry. Certainly, if you have any questions, give me a call at the range, 303-659-7117. I can answer the questions. We can sign you up right over the phone. Uh, just do a credit card, give you the information to get started, and meet you out at the lake first thing Sunday, June 6th. Now, I want to take a few minutes before you go, because as we get later in the year and we approach hunting seasons, we always see this rush of people bringing in their rifle to sight it in, and there's something wrong. The scope mount something is wrong. There's, there's something wrong with the action of the rifle. We see the upland game. I mean, that conspiracy they call dove hunting is only about two, three months away, and people come in, and they go out there and shoot, and they don't hit anything. So then they come and start practicing. We have a mantra on this show about hunting, and it's don't get ready to go hunting, stay ready. And that includes guiding, doing research online, going into the field and looking at uh, uh, scouting, not guiding, but doing research online, getting into the field and checking out where you're going to hunt, what the conditions are, finding out what the conditions are ahead of time. Is there is the area been affected by drought or fire? There's all those things to do that you need to be doing right now. We talked to a good friend of yours and a just before this, Ben Garcia from uh, Hideaway Kennels, and he, he's so adamant about getting your dogs out, getting them in shape, and getting yourself in shape before you go upland game hunting, and all those things you need to be doing now. But shooting is very much the same thing right now, whether it's a shotgun sport or a rifle sport. 
you really need to be practicing on a regular basis to be comfortable, don't you? Absolutely, Terry. And, you know, you can just go down the list of things that that applies to. And especially in 2021, uh, we have some dynamics that are different than even any other year. So, for example, um, I do have a few muzzleloaders starting to prep themselves. I have a couple guys coming out with rifles here and there. Well, we ended up with a scope malfunction, went to get a new scope. Guess what? Scopes, scope rings, hardware for guns, not as easy to get as it used to be. Uh, some things are special order and way out. So another reason to make sure your equipment is top-notch or if you're going to be doing any changes to it and are going to need any parts, uh, get ahead of the game because everything is behind worldwide right now. Um, definitely preparing for dove season. I've been seeing a lot of doves, by the way, Terry. I think it's going to be a good year. But, uh, yeah, so the Colorado Clay Sporting Clays course was designed and it's maintained to give a wide variety of target presentations that will help you prepare for a multitude of shots in the field. And uh, there's nothing that will prepare you uh, like trigger time at Colorado Clays. So I can't emphasize how important it is to be prepared. And also other considerations for folks, which everybody probably knows, um, make sure you got that ammo lined up because uh, things are still behind on the ammo as well. So uh, definitely give us a visit at Colorado Clays and make sure you're ready. You know, the Doves actually have an organization to get me out hunting because they right. know they're safe when I'm in the field. Exactly. <laughs> well, I told you I told you last year, Terry, they, they tend to congregate where they feel safe. You said you were seeing a bunch of them, so kind of did the yeah. <laughs> They look at it and they go, that's the same guy from last year. We're good. Yep. <laughs> uh, JR, again, Colorado Clays, uh, your casting clays. If people want more information or sign up, where do they do that? No, again, Terry, give us a call, 303-659-7117, or go to coloradoclays.com and uh, check out our website, take the virtual tour, uh, send us an email, ask a question. Uh, whatever it is, we've got you covered. All right. Well, you and I need to get on the water, and I might even let you catch the first fish. I'd appreciate that, Terry. All right, my friend. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Okay, thanks. You bet. JR from Colorado Clays. Great people, great place. If you're into the shooting sports at all, check them out. We'll take a quick time out. We'll come back. We'll wrap things up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 as a fan. Back in gear. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to start wrapping things up here. I have a couple things I want to cover with you. One is the weather. I know we're going to get a, uh, a nice day today, and we're going to get a couple rainy days and some cold weather. It's going to move the fish around, and, and it's going to cause some, yeah, it's not going to be as much fun out there. But Tuesday it switches, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, really get into nice weather. I think we're probably headed into that June, nice summer weather. We'll get storms. We'll get a cold day once in a while. But the water temperatures are reaching a point where the cold fronts aren't going to affect the fish as much as we might happen yet this next one because they're still spawning fish. But once we get through this, I think you're going to find we're going to hit what's called the summer peak in fishing. And the <clears throat> summer peak is a warm water phenomena where the waters, the fish have recovered from spawning activities. We're talking bass and walleyes mostly, but you also could wipers, some white bass, things like that. And uh, 
but the bait fish haven't really spawned yet. So there's larger bait fish in the system, but some of those, some of the fish aren't good at eating those larger ones yet. So what you're going to do is the fish are going to get into their summer patterns, which they'll be feeding in a very similar way for quite a few weeks until those bait fish hatch. They're also the warm water gets their metabolism going. And those fish are going to be on the feed bag. They're going to be wanting to eat. They're going to be very catchable. These are the times of the years when you get those 20, 30, 50 fish days. Not as many big fish. You're going to have to sort through. In fact, normally to catch big fish, you have to change what you're doing. But those aggressive smaller fish, and the walleyes, those are the 15 to 18 inches. The bass, that's probably up to the 15, 18 inch. Uh, Smallmouth, maybe up to about 15. But other fish are going to be accessible because the bait isn't as prevalent yet. If you want to go fishing, if you just want to catch fish, I'd say over the next three or four weeks, you want to plan an outing. Then we'll get a change. The bait fish will hatch. And we're going to cover all this every week on the show and keep you up to date. So you want to take advantage of that and get out on even the local lakes like Cherry Creek, Chatfield, Bar Lake, head down to Pueblo, come up to um, Boyd up here, uh, Horse tooth can be a little different. You have to play a little different, but um, opportunity is going to be there. If you're just an angler who wants to get out or maybe take a friend out or take some kids out and catch some fish, uh, this is going to be the time of the year to do it. You can do it with basic fishing gear. You don't need to spend a lot of money, and you're going to have some success. Uh, The trout fishing is going to start to change as water warms. The trout on the front range are going to start moving to deeper water or they're going to be culled out of a lot of the small waters that are stocked earlier in the year. But the mountain lakes are just going to get better and better and take off. The rivers would probably still got some runoff coming, but um, there's a lot of fishable water right now. It really hasn't come down yet. I drove up Poudre Canyon just this week, and even though it was running fairly high, it wasn't just roaring out of control. And it really... uh, it really wasn't that dirty, and I didn't see a lot of ash in it. But there is quite a bit of snow in the high country yet. Things could change, and that's the time to turn to the lakes. Lake John's producing monster fish. The Delaney's are fishing well. Antero, uh, you can get out to all these lakes that are even the stock lake in the mountains. The trout are active. They're near shore. Uh, you should be able to go out if you want to use some power bait, but spoons, spinners, crankbaits will work, and you can catch a lot of fish. So get out there and do it. We're going to see the fishing get better and better. Just be aware of where you're fishing and how to approach it. The other thing I want to say is we get outdoors, we've got a lot of people getting outdoors. And we need to share the outdoors, and we need to make sure we understand everybody's out there to have fun, and no one's out there with a nefarious agenda trying to take advantage of people. So be, be considerate, be kind, and have fun. And if you're concerned about promoting our resources, proper use, growth of opportunities, join an affinity group. Whatever you do, whether you camp, fish, hunt, there's a group that specializes in what you do. They care about conservation. They care about the resources. And you can make a difference by belonging to those groups and make it better outdoors for all of us and supporting them. Last thing, I know we're going to have a nice day today. I know the weather is not going to be as good the next couple days, but I don't want you to worry about Karen and I. We have a covered patio with a heater, We have a great wine list at the house and a variety of meats to grill. I think we're going to be okay. Karen's over there nodding, so I think we're going to be all right. So anyway, join us every Saturday from 9 to 11. Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Karen for making this show go. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in sports on 104.3 The Fan.